Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm with the proclamation of the faith of our heart the promise that relates to the coming of Jesus Christ when He at the door of hope and that day will come to be glorified in the bodies of His saints. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And furthermore, it is written, unfortunately, that the people of Israel, they said, we will not go along this way. We do not want to listen about the ancient path of goodness. And then the Lord answers them and says, then listen, you nations, what will happen with this people? We need not to hear about what will happen with the people of, of Israel we can read in the news what happened with the people of Israel, what kind of fear and calamity they are in, what kind of climate they live in. And the reason to all of this is the following. They said, we do not want to listen to the messengers of God. We don't want to walk along the ancient path of goodness. But we said, we do want to listen about the ancient path of goodness because we will and we will walk along this ancient path where the good way is. And therefore, return to the ancient path of goodness. When we are referring to our return to the ancient path of goodness, call to lead us to rest, we are not referring to the law of Moses that discovered sin and gave power to sin. In this case, we are referring to the ancient law that was given by God in the Garden of Eden long before the arrival of the law of Moses in which people could receive justification through their faith in the redemptive sacrifice. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. 
Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify their circumcised by faith. This ancient path of goodness, which justifies those that are circumcised by faith. What does it mean, circumcised by faith? The law of God, the ancient path of goodness, it says to the Jews, do not look at your circumcision, but it does not make you righteous. Tell me, why are you circumcised? I am circumcised because I have faith. Well, let's talk about this faith. This faith God had given to Abraham, let's talk about this faith. And we, from circumcision, look at the heart of the Jew, and it turns out that in this heart there is faith. And Scripture says that a person is justified by faith. It is necessary to go from circumcision to the heart where there is faith, but the Gentiles, uncircumcised, they are justified by faith. It is necessary for Gentiles, those that do not have a partaking to the ancient path of goodness, to this ancient teaching that was given in Eden and then was passed along this baton to a to Abraham. It is necessary to us as Gentiles through faith. So place faith in the heart and then in this faith to begin to receive justification and to grow in righteousness. The Jews have this teaching, but they are focused on the works of the law, circumcision. They are a special nation. Let's look at the heart. Therefore, we're not against circumcision, but only God begins to look and be based only on the heart, the heart of a person. Because righteousness and justification are found only in the heart, and there it is necessary to find the law of God, not the law of Moses, but the ancient path of goodness, the ancient teaching that was back in the Garden of Eden that talked about the redemption of a person from death. The opportunity to find the ancient path of goodness is the opportunity to enter to the kingdom of heaven through narrow gates. Narrow gates in scripture are defined as the first fruits of teachings, or rather the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul who, by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. And all of this is written, written in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. An apostle Arkadi for us presents this, plays a scripture for us in an extended version. And it will sound like the following. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ, and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. It turns out that to leave the first fruits is to sprinkle ourselves with the reigning teaching of Christ. This means to be clothed in the armor of light, which is contained and is found in the rulership of this teaching. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism expressed in baptism in water, Holy Spirit and fire, and the doctrine of laying on of hands expressed in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. And therefore we will turn to studying the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And so the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead 
Today we are going to look at the first part. But first, we should talk about what kind of teaching this is about the resurrection of the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is a dimension of the West. This is God's divine geography. The West, Western side, is the teaching of resurrection that carries within itself the eternally existing life of God, which, first of all, fulfills three functions. First, the doctrine of resurrection introduces in a person to the family of God and makes him God's belonging. First John 5, 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And therefore, resurrection of the resurrection unites us to God and make us, makes us God's belonging because we are born of God. But we don't stop at this. The t- doctrine of resurrection doesn't stop at this. Second, the doctrine of resurrection of Christ resists second death in a person who has been born of God in the face of the old man and the lawless and the wicked in the church. And this also, the resurrection of the dead doctrine does. It resists death. First Peter 3.21 says, There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Christ. What does it save us from? From the second death. Second death is the spiritual death. First death, through it, all people pass. Of course, those saints that will achieve the last days. Second death, on the contrary, is not just when a person dies, but when he dying, he heads to eternal death, to hell. This is called the second death. And the doctrine of resurrection of the dead will allow us to overcome this second death and also allow some of us to overcome the first death if we, of course, will reach that day. Third, the doctrine of resurrection of Christ nurtures a person into a perfect man, into the full measure of the stature of Christ. This is very concisely. If you are asked, the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, what does it do? Minimum, three things. It gives birth to me and makes me God's belonging. Second, it delivers me from the second death in the face of the old man, in the face of the wicked and lawless in the church, in the subject of all kinds of illnesses, poverty, curse, depression, and all of that. You don't take antidepressants? No, I don't take antidepressants because I'm a Christian. I have psalms. I have prayer. I have fellowship with saints. I never use antidepressants. These are drugs, and people who use them are are drug addicts and this must be confessed this must be repented of we need to pay a price to stop being this drug addict and thirdly the doctrine of resurrection of christ makes a person perfect and leads him to the full measure of the stature of christ and so in the reigning teaching of jesus christ the doctrine of resurrection contains in itself three levels of births which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. We can find this truth in a conversation between Christ and Nicodemus, a member of the centurion, one of the leaders of the Jews, who until a certain time was a secret disciple. And out of the fear of the Jews, he came to Jesus at night. He didn't give Jesus time to sleep. Uh, Jesus had spent... Uh, nighttime in prayer when the disciples arose they saw Christ coming descending from the mountain 
they he had an audience with the father sometimes and he spent time with Nicodemus as well and let's look at one of the conversations that was done at night John chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 Jesus answered and said to him most assuredly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born this was a doctor of theology that had said this to Jesus Christ Jesus raised his eyebrows he said most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God he who is born of the flesh is flesh flesh but he was born of the spirit is spirit Nicodemus I am talking to you about spiritual things I am talking about the spiritual womb the church of the Lord Jesus Christ about Zion about Jerusalem about Sarah who gave birth to us and not from the womb of your mother from the semantic meaning of this dialogue it follows that birth from the water and the spirit opens the door to entry into the kingdom of heaven or possible the possibly to be born to the throne Jesus said he who is not born of the water and spirit cannot enter into the kingdom of God and to enter into the kingdom of God why do we want to enter into the kingdom of God so that we can be born to the throne why do we enter into the city of the throne why do we enter and stand before the throne so that I can be born to the throne the requirement to be born from water spirit and to the throne is the necessity and unchanging condition to making with God a covenant of blood salt and rest where in the baptism in water Holy Spirit and fire given that the ancient doctrine of goodness by its nature is not dilapidated and therefore forever new we need to explore the sacrament the mystery contained in the process of the birth and emergence of the life of God and the spirit of man through the power of resurrection contained in the teachings of Christ in scripture the term resurrection relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead contains the following meanings and definitions resurrection is the life of God the water of life the spirit of life the word of life in the seed of the kingdom of heaven it is redemption revival it is imperishability resurrection is also renewal the light of the life of God the order of life of God the hope of our inheritance and in God and being planted in the house of the Lord all of this are synonyms and definitions of the word resurrection the doctrine of resurrection is presented in the image of a soaring eagle on the banner of the Western army of the Israeli people consisting of three tribes led by Ephraim the son of Joseph the eagle is a symbol and image of the renewal of life triumphing over death the fact is that in the nature of this royal bird there is a phase of death that is defeated by resurrection and pastor had shown how this phase of resurrection occurs in an eagle eagles live like people they can live up to 70 years and even more 
and when they reach a kind of age they have a decision either to die or to make their life longer by 30 years because at their old age what happens are three things on their beaks there is a growth that forms their claws stop being sharp and their feathers are old they don't allow them to hunt well that's why they're when they're hunting for food their body um, has uh, creates a, a loud sound and the bunny or whatever other animal they begin to run away because they hear it in order for this eagle to not die he returns to that place where he was born and he was born in the clefts of the rock and on a large rock he was born where he had a nest he returns to that nest and you know that it is impossible without the church without that home church in which we were born it's impossible to receive renewal we are born here in the church and here in the church we receive this renewal and he knew this this home this sound of home an eagle first creates its nest out of very sharp branches and then it places these sharp thorns and it covers all of this with feathers with its puff and with its feathers and then when it when she lays her egg when they hatch there comes a time when she waits waits she be, brings them food and their appetite grows the little eagles are growing and how much food am I going to bring to them? They are growing their appetite and they don't want to fly. And she begins to get rid of these feathers and this puff. And then they are met with these thorns and they then realize they have to do something. They look at the nest and they look at it. They look over the edge. They see the height. They don't want to jump, although their mother shows them how to. And there comes a time when they jump out of the nest because there is no more of that comfort. Because in the covenant of salt, there is no comfort. There are these thorns that prompt us to open ourselves in the resurrection of Christ and to be born from the water, from the Spirit, and to the throne. Therefore, we make a decision to jump. Sometimes we don't make the decision, and then the eagle pushes the small little one out. And he flies with his with his wings not yet not yet falling and he hits the rock and then the mother eagle goes to save him and then she brings him up even even higher so that he has time to learn and she again throws him off he again doesn't open his wings he says please help all right she then flies up after him she lifts him up even higher until he stops and until he stops relying on his mother and then finally this young eagle begins to fly so the eagle returns there and he remembers this experience this experience with his mother and he knows that there is a price that must be paid price of death but here everything changes the mother is no longer there only him and only the rock the overgrowth on his beak uh, there are now different kinds of growths he can't clearly see because of these growths his old feathers and wings they whistle and let off a sound when he flies and his claws that are no longer sharp he begins to head towards the sharpness of the rock he hits this rock head-on and then this overgrowth on his beak breaks he then sharpens his claws on this rock with his new beak he rips out all of the old claws and he has new ones formed and all of his old feathers with his new beak he rips out 
he rips out of his body. And then when he is in such a way, when he's, he, he looks for the cold water in which uh, he then immerses himself and washes his body and frees himself from all kinds of parasites that may have been there. And he waits for his new wings to be, f- to new feathers to grow. He then has a sharp claws, he has a sharp beak, and he has strong feathers, new feathers. And his body does not let off a sound or a whistle because it is covered with new feathers. But it was necessary to rip all this out, to rip off of ourselves so that then we can receive ourselves in a new way. Psalms 103.5 says, So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Therefore, you must understand that without the rock, Without the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock, this renewal cannot happen. But this rock is only in a person who once had this nest. We will return to the tent of our mother. We must return to the tent of our mother. Only this time we are going to return for the purpose of returning that kingdom and returning that inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. So that is not a deposit or a seed, but so that it can become our fruit. And so renewal is a necessary and fateful factor, the process of which is concluded in three degrees of birth, designed to act in the span of one human life. One human life. There are three levels of birth. Birth from the spirit, from the water, and to the throne. There is renewal that happens in each of these steps, like the renewal of an eagle. Looking at the doctrine of resurrection and the order contained in the functions of the three degrees of birth, we cannot ignore the literal resurrection of bodies and their change in the blink of an eye, since it is closely connected with death and birth. 1 Corinthians 15.23 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all should be made alive, everyone in in his order. We will pay attention to one important detail, specifically the order of resurrection that classifies people into groups. It is the order of resurrection that classifies people into different groups. And let's look at these two groups. John 5 verses 28 through 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. From the existing statement, it follows that the first resurrection, or the first order of resurrection, is the resurrection of the righteous, or the resurrection of justification, and the other is the resurrection of judgment. The resurrection of judgment is also the order, the order that resists the order of resurrection. This is the order of death and hell. Some are resurrected in resurrection of justification and some resurrection for condemnation. And we know that there is only one resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And given that there is the order of God present, there are saints who in this first resurrection will resurrect at the door of hope. They are going to resurrect from the dead in the bodies of saints that have not yet died. In them, the resurrection of Christ will reign, and they, together with those that are resurrected, will be lifted up to the Lord. And also, there is a large amount of people that will resurrect, who will resurrect before the white throne. 
And there is also the resurrection of condemnation when people will resurrect to be headed to eternal torment. And we all, everyone will be resurrected, lawless, wicked, uh, Muslim, atheists, Christians, Ukrainians, Russians, Germans, all of us will be resurrected. There are two resurrections, either resurrection of justification, this I will spend life with Christ Jesus, and resurrection of condemnation, I will spend life in hell. Why do I need resurrection? Because in order to spend eternity in hell, people need the body in which they are going to find torment in and in which the conscience will work 100% because the fire of the burning lake of fire is the conscience that burned out during life in hell in the lake of fire it is going to work a thousand percent it is going to be ignited a thousand percent they're going to curse themselves and all of their surroundings they had a chance they had a chance to be in the church to be at the rivers of water to eat from these sources of food to acknowledge god's order and to stop trying to pride themselves they had this opportunity everything they will curse and hell because their conscience is going to burn a thousand times and work a thousand times as well as in saints they're going to rejoice in life and the resurrection of jesus christ why because their conscience never ceased or dimmed down on the contrary we cleanse our conscience from dead works and when we cleanse our conscience from dead works the conscience begins to say what other people saying this is not sin when people say, I don't want to go to church, you'll say that this is sin? No. For you, this is not sin. For me, yes. What, are we different? There is the order of resurrection. I want to resurrect and receive resurrection in my body when Christ will come before the coming of Christ to receive her in a new way. You want to resurrect before the white throne and then there is a question, resurrection of condemnation or resurrection of justification? I don't want to play these games. I don't want to play with games with eternity. Therefore, that which is not sin to this person, to me, this is sin. Because there is the order of resurrection present. At the twelve foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, the birth from water is the seventh. And the seventh foundation was made out of the precious stone chrysolite. As it is written in Revelation 21, 14, 20, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the seventh chrysolite. And so birth from water the seventh foundation, chrysolite. The word chrysolite comes from the ancient Greek word meaning golden stone. In ancient times, chrysolite was often called the evening emerald. This precious stone had the most beautiful green colors, shades, shades of life. Birth from water represents for us the shades of life. We look at the tree, oh, it is a living tree. How do you define, well, the leaves are green. A dead tree, how do you define it? The leaves are yellowing. The tree dries, it, it dries up and it dies. 
and the name of the apostle that was engraved on the seventh foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem was the name of the apostle Thomas. Matthew 10, 2 says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, Thomas, the seventh one. Thomas is the Aramaic word Toma, the root of which is derived from the word palm or righteousness. The Greek nickname of this, nickname of this name means Didymus, which translates as twin, the twin of Christ. And before giving a definition and seeing the meaning inherent in the name of the Apostle Thomas as a twin, the name which was determined by the nature of the seventh foundation in the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, we will mention some information available in the scientific world regarding the nature of twins. The phenomenon of the birth of twins always brought scientists not just to a loss, but led them into stupor, both in the past and in the present. They could not understand and did not understand today how from one sperm, or rather from one seed, which fertilizes one egg, there are two equivalent and similar to each other like two drops of water embryos. The fact is that in the case of twins, during fertilization, in the egg, one embryo is formed at the beginning, but then in a way incomprehensible to science, it splits into two parts, and two embryos begin to develop in parallel. This astonishing event happens during the first week after fertilization, and the sooner separation occurs, the more independently the embryos will cultivate in the womb, and the later this happens, for example, on the fourth, fifth, sixth day, the closer will be will be the dependence of these embryos on one another. They will be more dependent on each other. Twins are born very rarely in about 2% of all pregnancies. Of these, 30% are identical twins, like two drops of water. The remaining 70% are non-identical or fraternal twins. So imagine... 2%, 2% are born, 1, uh, 30% are identical, and 70% are fraternal. So out of these 2%, less than 1% are identical twins that are born. The relationship of two identical twins leaves a mark on their whole lives. There exists the idea that between them, there exists a telepathic bond. Many twin pairs say that they feel the breathing, beating of the heart. Beating of the heart and even read each other's minds at a distance. And these are identical twins. We have uh, met with the autonomy of this. And although I don't know uh, all of this information, or I have understood from what we have read how they are born. One egg cell 
and one seed of the husband. They are united, and there is fertilization of the egg cell that happens, and then there is a zygote that forms. Then, after a few days, somehow, it formulates a zygote, and this embryo is divided into two parts, and they begin to grow together two embryos, twins, two eggs, two sperm, two zygotes, which grow completely independent on one another. Now let's turn to the mystery hidden in twins from the perspective of scripture. This we looked at the position of science and it is correct. And now let's look from the perspective of scripture. Namely, there lies the clue. So when we read scientifics, there are just questions. But pastor says when we read scripture, there we receive the answers to the mysteries that are contained in the appointment of twins. After all, God never does anything without a specific purpose and without a specific reason. When the first woman created by God, Eve, who became the mother of all living, became pregnant and then was allowed to give birth, the result of these births was twins. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. These were not twins. They were fraternal twins. Completely different seeds, two different egg cells, two different zygotes, two different embryos. One represented the seed of hell, the other represented the seed of the woman. Abel did. Abraham, Enoch, and all of those in the lineage of Christ. And after, of course, after Christ us, we were found there. But the most remarkable thing is that two twins meet in the genealogy of Christ. These are Esau and Jacob, born of Rebekah as well. Esau and Jacob, they were fraternal twins but they were born at one time. And when they were born, Jacob held on to held on to Esau. So we have two different zygotes, two different sperm cells that are independent of one another. But are there identical twins that have one seed, that pursue one goal? Are there these twins in us? There are. These are Perez and Zerah, born of Tamar, daughter-in-law of Judah. Genesis 38, verses 27 through 30. Now it came to pass uh, the birth of Tamar. At the time of giving birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened, as he drew back his hand, that his brother came out unexpectedly and said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. His name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And the name Perez means breach or terminating obstruction, and Zerah means the Lord sanctified. So this is approximately how we are born of God. First, there is Zara, and we must place a scarlet thread 
the covenant of blood on this hand. And then there is a completely different one that comes out, Perez, a person terminating obstruction. So first there is sanctification, Zerah, the Lord sanctified, and then dedication, breach or terminating obstruction, and then Zerah follows. So we keep ourselves in sanctification. Sanctification leads us to dedication so that through dedication we can keep our sanctification. Again, we need first sanctification to dedicate ourselves to God and then in this dedication we are able to hold on to our sanctification. We are able to hold on to Zerah on whose hand was a scarlet thread, the covenant of blood, someone that held on to salvation through sanctification, dedication, and then holding on to sanctification again. The question arises, what did God want to show in the designation of the twin phenomenon when from one seed two identical personalities arise, similar to each other, like two drops of water? The answer to this question is in the oaths of God addressed to Abraham after he laid his son Isaac on the altar, being sure that God will raise him up from the dead. Here, the Lord opened to Abraham the mystery of, of twins. Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. What will you do, Lord? I will multiply your descendants. One seed? Yes, that is so. How twins are formed? The seed, the egg cell, one. There is one zygote, and then he says, I will multiply your seed. I will make twins that are in the likeness of Christ. He didn't say that there's going to be two different seeds, the seed of darkness and seed of light. No, from one seed, I will multiply your seed. I will multiply it. And of course, he thought, I'm going to have twins. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, and your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Apostle Paul, commenting on the meaning of this oath, says that from one seed there can be not only two twins, but also many twins from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So this seed, this seed that was Isaac, it was illuminating Jesus Christ, and it is there where the holy inheritance of God that is in the likeness of Jesus Christ, his twins formed, God's chosen remnant. And those that are called, they are also carried out in one womb, in one womb of the mother, but they have a completely different nature, two completely different seeds. In one church, they ate the same food, they had one mother, and this is what happens. Some are called they do not look like Christ. The chosen, they look like Jesus Christ. They are the twins of Christ.
Thus, a person who is born of God in the format of three births from water spirit into the throne is Christ's twin, originating from one seed which is called Christ, by virtue of which the name of the Apostle Thomas, called the twin, in the seventh foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem means the twin descending from the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? It is called Christ. So we are twins from the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman is our Lord Jesus Christ. We have His genetics, and we share one fate with Him. And we don't have a telepathic bond like with twins, but we have a direct tie through the body of Christ, through the Word of God, and through the mighty Holy Spirit. And all of that which happens in heaven and that which happens on the earth, it is organically tied with one another. Therefore, we need to investigate in what cases this name, this name Thomas, in its functions, expressing the authority to represent the image of Christ, is found in Scripture. Because specifically, the representation of Christ itself is determined by the authority of birth from water, or uncovers the powers that are contained in the name Thomas, meaning twin. We are now going to look at these components. And to represent Christ, both in the stage of birth from the Spirit and the stage of birth to the throne, but the root system of these powers is found in birth from water. A birth from water is that precious stone on which was the name Thomas. Everything begins from birth to water. The doctrine of resurrection, birth from water, and then as we read, birth from the Spirit and birth to the throne. They help us illuminate Christ. And this likeness begins from birth from, the th from water. And this is all defined through a relationship to the Word of God. To be born from water is to be born from the Word of God. Therefore, if the disciples left Christ, he says, oh, the disciples have left you. Oh, praise God, because you know what birth from water is? This is, what relationship do people have to the Word of God? People who hate the truth, despise the truth, despite the fact that we were found in one church and one mother, this means that we came from two different genetics, genetics of hell and death and resurrection and justification. And our relationship to the water, our relationship to the Word of God defines this genetics. And when infants are found in the womb of the mother, they are found in water, in the Word of God. Why? Because it is from there, birth from water, birth from the Word. Everything is hidden and covered in the Word of God. Therefore, Christ was never sorrowful when He was left. People who hated the Word of God, He says, this tree was not planted by my Father. Let's look at some of the components. There are 12 of them total. The first component or power contained in the name Thomas as a twin representing the image of the Son of God in a person is called to make us holy and unblemished in love before God. So we begin to search in our traits. When we look at the Word of God, when we look in this mirror, we begin to look, do I look like God? First, He is called to make us holy and unblemished. This is the first characteristic of our portrait that... Uh, unites us with Christ to be holy and unblemished in love. Ephesians 1, 4-7 says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so He chose us in Christ. This is the seed 
when it when she said let it be to me according to your word there was a zygote that was formed christ was formed the embryo he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world then we were uh, multiplied separated and grew into the image of christ god chose us in him before the foundation of the world we were one seed that uniquely then was multiplied we will take a look later at why on the basis of scripture that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace according to this it follows that the remnant chosen by god which is his heritage before the creation of the world was in the seed of the woman which was passed on to those born of god and thus became the heritage of god so we were found in christ jesus and we were born from the seed of the woman second power contained in the name thomas as a twin representing the image of the son of god in a person is expressed in the authority to not be found in the state of sin second characteristic that defines am i called so am i a fraternal twin of christ and the antichrist is a fraternal twin who is antichrist he is very like his behavior it looks like christ he studied this because this was the fifth prince out of the seven this was a demonic prince that had carefully looked at how christ was dying he saw that in 2000 something he is going to come and he needs to take the role of christ he studied the movement of his eyes his lips how christ had behaved and when he comes this is going to be the very deep deep eyes the same movement because he completely fully studied him the antichrist copies christ but inside this is going to be satan and so each person born of God, the human body was the bearer of a state of sin in the face of the old man and his lusts. After birth, if before being born again the human body was the bearer of a state of sin in the face of the old man decaying and his lusts, after birth the human body became the carrier of two states in the face of the old man and the face of the new man. Therefore, when we were talking about how one who is born of God cannot sin, we are referring to the new man in Christ Jesus, or the innermost spirit of a person. In other words, a person may never sin, but nonetheless always be in a state of sin. And on the contrary, he can sin a lot, but be in a state of righteousness. Proverbs 24.16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, the wicked shall fall by calamity. And also, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, My little children, these things are right to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Whenever a person sins like a slave to sin, he is righteous, he rises, he makes mistakes, but this person has the opportunity to repent. But when he sins as someone who was free from sin, he will become like the devil and his angels. While we sin, being servants of sin, in certain spheres we are servants of sin, then we can repent, as Pastor wrote here. When a person sins who is free from sin, he is going to be like the devil and his angels. So, there are certain things when spiritual people sin, and that doesn't mean that, for example, David was spiritual, but he fell in a shameful sin, but the Lord forgave him. He said, I sinned before the Lord, I ought to die. And the prophet had immediately justified him and told him that the Lord forgives him. 
But how does someone free from sin, sin, or is transformed into the devil? How does this happen? For this, it is necessary to have three characteristics. Scripture says, they are walking the way of Cain. They look to Baal and fall as Korah. These three things tell us that a spiritual person who is sitting, preaching, praying, blessing, evangelizing, he has died to God. Let's look at these three components of individually that tell us that a person has died to God, a spiritual person who begins to do something for God like Cain. What did he do? He tried to dedicate himself to God after his actions. We do not walk along the way of Cain. To walk along the way of Cain is to have envy towards saints. Envy that grows into hatred, hatred that grows into murder. First quality that tells a person that a person is spiritually dead to God. Second characteristic, they do not look at the seduction of, of, of Baal. They do not serve God for their own benefit. Lord, I will serve you, bless me financially. I will serve you and I will do this, give me this and that in this physical world. This tells us that a person is headed straight to his perdition. And also, people die as Korah. So they do not acknowledge God's order in the church. And so if we sum all of this up together, how can we say that a spiritual person is dead to God? He has hatred, envy, murder. He does not acknowledge God's order and he does everything for his own benefit and covetousness. This person is dead to God. He is lawless and wicked. May the body of Christ be rid of this wickedness. May it be rid in the name of Jesus Christ. This was an interesting second component. The third component of the power contained the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is the ability to be a carrier of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 9. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Everything created through Christ Jesus, everything created through this seed. The unsearchable riches of Christ is the seed of the kingdom of heaven in a person, which ripped him away and freed him from the authority of sin and birthed him to a new life in Christ Jesus. The important part of the unsearchable riches of Christ is the person himself, or rather, his new beginning in Christ, able to grow the seed of the kingdom of heaven and offer fruit. Offering fruit of the Spirit that comes from the seed of the kingdom of heaven is the material out of which we build ourselves into the image of Christ and thus become his twins. So here in this third component, Pastor has shown us what this imperishable inheritance is. This unsearchable inheritance is given to us in this seed and then I, as a twin of Christ, create the correct atmosphere in which this unsearchable inheritance expressed in this seed can bring the fruit to God in our life. So we ought to work uh, to create such an atmosphere. And we have this atmosphere. This is the atmosphere of a disciple, student. The fourth component of the power contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is the ability to be an organized part of the church. 
that makes known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. We search, we are looking at, comparing ourselves to Christ. Are we twins of Christ? Are we in the likeness of Christ? Here is this fourth component and tells us that my must be an organized part of the church through which makes known to the principalities and powers the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3 verses 10 through 11 The manifold wisdom of God is the power of salvation the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3, 10, 3, 11. The manifold wisdom of God is the power of salvation that is revealed in each individual person, each individual person that has been born again and dwells in the powers of this birth, although he is a twin of Christ, represents the individual manifold wisdom of God. So despite the fact that we the fact that we come from one seed from one zygote from one embryo the Lord says I want you to show me I want to look only at you and to see me this is very interesting therefore we are found in Christ Christ is found in us and the Lord did not want to take away our individuality he says I just want you to be an individual person that is in the likeness of me so that you, others can look at you and say, I look at my brother, I look at my sister, and I begin to understand who the Heavenly Father is. Some, for example, look at Pastor Arkadia and say, I, through our pastor, can understand the heart of the Father, and this is very good. This is very good that when we have a pastor, that we are able to see who Christ is. Or when you look at the helpers of pastors and can say, I see who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, how He expresses itself, and this is very good when we have uh, this ability to look at others and see these qualities. 1 Peter chapter 10, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. To us, our generation, is preached this preached word. And in this preached word, the angels want to penetrate into this manifold wisdom of God. The building of the great wisdom that is hidden from eternity in God, in which God will eternally dwell, occurs in the bodies of those people that are redeemed by God. These people, until the time comes to obtain new bodies, cannot in all fullness comprehend the glory in them which the angels desire, desire to look into. So this manifold wisdom of God, it is going to be in all fullness represented to us and to the angels of God until the time of receiving our new bodies. So until the time of being clothed in the resurrection of Christ, how important this substance, the adoption of our bodies is, how important the substance of not just the adoption of our spirit, but also the salvation of our mortal soul and the adoption of our decaying perishable body. Very important. Because without these three components, it is very difficult. We must constantly look and search for Christ in a person. 
Take a look at what is written about in the temple. In the temple, the angels of God that were in the Holy of Holies, they covered the Ark of God. What Ark? The Ark in which there was revelation. Revelation for the adoption of our bodies. And they had covered it with their wings, one angel on one hand, the other cherubim on the other side. And where did they look? They looked at that revelation that laid in the heart. But in what body was this? When we are found in the body in which the resurrection of Christ has not yet reigned, but when the resurrection of Christ does reign, in the book of Revelation it says about Jerusalem, I did not see the temple. The temple in Jerusalem I did not see. But the Lord, Almighty God, the temple and His Lamb is the Lamb. All in all became God. Right now the angels can see the glory of God only in our spirit. Someone already in their thinking, but in our bodies we do not yet see this glory of God. The angels need to look in this at this mystery in the ark. We need to look into the ark of our heart and to see that mystery and that inheritance that is contained there. And scripture says we need to continue to do this. We need to proclaim the inexistent as existent. There will come a time, saints, when Jerusalem is not going to have a temple. Why? Because His, His majesty will be the temple. We organically organize when the resurrection of Christ happens, not just in our spirit, in our thinking, and also in our bodies, they will become one. We will unite with God and there will be no temple. His majesty will be our temple and Christ will be the lamp in this temple. And this will happen after the adoption of our bodies and this time is very, very near. The fifth component of the power contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is the manifestation of the genetic inheritance comprised of carrying the light of life. John chapter 8 verse 12 Then Jesus spoke to them again saying I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life This is the next fifth characteristic If I am in the likeness of Christ then I will not walk in the darkness but I will have the light of life This is an important trait Considering the translated meaning the version of this phrase I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life will sound like this writes Apostle Arkady I am the light of the world. He who will be my twin will be freed from the power of darkness and will have the power to be the light of life. So the twin of Christ is a person who is freed from the power of darkness. Our spirit freed from the power of darkness, our thinking freed from the power of darkness, already today because it is renewed and soon our bodies will also be freed from the power of darkness. We have the darkness of the light, or the power of the light of life in our essence because the word light is life. Let there be light. And there was light. So practically, here was proclaimed the resurrection because light, as we had read previously in the sermons and labors of our pastor, Light is always life. If there is no light, everything dies. Where there is light, there is life. Therefore, when it says, let there be light, these are the words, let there be life. And we have the power of this light of life. Sixth component. Again, we're looking for these characteristics, the, par the portrait. Do I look like Jesus Christ? Here is a sixth component of the power that shows that we are in the likeness of Christ. This power containing the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is a kind of power over evil spirits that is made known in hell to the authorities and rulers of the darkness of this age. Acts chapter 19 verses 13 through 16. 
Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. And scripture says that on all of those that were surrounding, the fear of God came upon them. What specifically was the difference in Apostle Paul's authority over evil spirits and the illusory power of the seven sons of Sceva, the priests? The difference was in the right to use this name. Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul received the anointing or the right to power to use the name of the Lord Jesus. The seven sons of the high priest Sceva, of whom this was written about, these were those that had practiced different methods. They did not have the right to the authority. They did not have anointing, and the anointing is the legal right to authority. And the legal right is impossible to take. It is necessary to receive it, to accept it. And Apostle Paul in Christ, they did not pass along this power to the sons of Sceva. Because anointing, if it is present, again, we must understand this, that anointing, as we have heard numerously through our pastor, is not just emotions, not just feeling, it's not just beautiful singing, it's not just... Uh, capabilities, wonderful capabilities. No, anointing is the legal right to the authority to do that which I do. If I say wonderful sermons, I call people to repentance, but I haven't received a legal right from God to do this, if I myself uh, have come up with this mission and I set myself to this evangelism, then these are these sons of Sceva. When I remember the Soviet Union had collapsed, people were searching for uh, helpers of the pastor. They said, do they, do they have these capabilities to call people to the Lord? Do you have wonderful singers? There were different singers that were sung about so that they can repent and praise the Lord instead. No, this is talking about the anointing, the fact that anointing is the right to power. Let's look at where Christ gave this power to his disciples. In giving this power, he began to momentarily correct them because when we receive the right to anointing, the right to power, we oftentimes, uh, Christ would need to be corrected. Christ says, Now the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even with the demons... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And pay attention, they received the right to power. So Jesus Christ says, I give you the power. I give you the authority, this anointing, the right to use this authority, 
They say, and demons are subject to us in your name. He says, these are not your servants. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Jesus himself says, because this was I had do- that had done this. What demons? I saw Satan himself fall like lightning from heaven. What, why are you rejoicing? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This tells us that what? Yes, here is interesting, Pastor showed us from the words of Christ. The anointing is the power to the right, but when we receive the power to the right or authority, we need to remember, Lord, I receive the right to power, but these are, uh, this is what Christ has achieved. And I begin to look at the root and thank God and say, I thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed me from every tongue, tribe, nation, and tribe, and you may, you've made me a king and a priest, and I will reign with you on the earth. To look at that which Christ had done and thank God that our names are written in the in the book of life because we receive the right to the authority. When we receive the right to the authority, Jesus gives us an important trait. Do we give looks he looks at do we give credit? All of a sudden someone receives anointing, they are prideful, they are arrogant, they puff up and they had the anointing, but this anointing we must understand. Laban also, Bethuel had this anointing. Why? Because Rebecca was in that house. And the servant of Abraham came and gave gifts and anointing just to take quickly her so that they don't hold her back because they, they, didn't, they may have not wanted to give it to her. So he gave these gifts. They took these gifts. They say, praise to the Lord. They raised their hands. And at this time when their hands were focused on these gifts, Rebecca was able to be taken away. But the gifts were given so they can let go of the inheritance of God because the uh, male child were called to be, was called to be born so that he can be born, this male child. And this is just an example. We here have understood that we have the right to the anointing, the power and the anointing. We must look at, with the anointing, we must look at the root, what Christ had done. The seventh component of the power that is contained in the name Thomas as a twin representing the image of the Son of God in a person is expressed in the authority of circumcision made without hands by taking off the body of the sins of the flesh and the authority of being clothed in the resurrection of Christ. And this topic we know very well. Uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. From this place of scripture, it follows that before we can be clothed in the power of the resurrection of Christ, we today again are talking about the res- resurrection, the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, birth from water that is presented in the name of the Apostle Thomas. Uh, before we are able to be take off, we need to take off the sinful body of the flesh, because of which circumcision made without hands expressed and taking off the sinful body of the flesh is the mortification of every desire and every manifestation, the source of which is the old beginning of the flesh, which we inherited from the sinful life of our fathers. With this, we should know that taking off the old and being clothed in the new is the conscience and voluntary cooperation with the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit. I have highlighted very clearly, and I had highlighted with a large font. Let's again read it. Taking off the old 
and being clothed in the new is the conscience and voluntary cooperation with the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it turns out this is not an emotion. This is the conscience and voluntary decision. How to take off the old man and also how to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ. This is a voluntary decision. We use our will. There was a willful decision that we used when we jumped out of the nest and began to fly. But the next decision is when we return again to this rock so that our youth can be renewed and so that we can walk out as in the days of our youth so that the power of God can return, the life and resurrection can return. We must understand that this is the conscience and the voluntary willful decision. It is not an emotional decision to go up on the rock and through death approach resurrection. Hitting the sharpness of the rocks so that we can get rid of the overgrowth on our beaks, so that we can sharpen our claws, so that we can rip out our old feathers that cause a whistle before God, so that this whistle is not heard. So that there is not this rumbling or this whistle when, when we fly. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20-24 through 24, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And all of this is done through the willful and conscious decision to cooperate with the truth of the Word of God. The eighth power, contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is expressed in the fullness of the Godhead abiding in man. A very important component, and we will search for it within ourselves. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10. For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. And so, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you have this fullness. The phrase, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, yields the perfect balance of all characteristics that are inherent to God in the body of a person. So, the fullness of the Godhead bodily yields the perfect balance of all characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, in the body of a person. We must continually remember that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in our body in the seed of the word of truth which we, from which we were born. So the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dwells in our body in the seed. That's why we need baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, or rather birth, from spirit, water, spirit, and to the throne, so that this fullness through this seed could become fruit. And so the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in the seed of the word of truth from which we were born or which brought us out from eternal death. Our goal is to, for the seed of truth to create conditions and an atmosphere in which this seed can demonstrate the fullness of the Godhead in our body in the fruit of our spirit in which in our body the fullness of God will be yielded. Again, in which in our body the fullness of God will be yielded. How wonderful. We receive the fullness of the Godhead in this seed, and when it is unsealed, it is presented in the character of Christ in us in our body, and it is yielded by the fullness of God. So the whole character of Christ, and then this character 
there is salvation of our spirit, our soul, and our body, because it is impossible to unseal the character of Christ without knowledge of the adoption of our body. Because in order to unseal, it is necessary to have a key. To have a key, it is necessary to have meek lips. To have meek lips, it is necessary to have a renewed thinking. To have renewed thinking, it is necessary to have the spirit that is cleansed of dead works, on which is engraved the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is the key. It's not just a card. It's it's a golden key. A golden key is here, here, and here. This is how we uncover our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Why is this such a long path? Because we receive this inheritance in a seed, and then we must receive it in fruit. So we must come to this tree of life that is amid the garden. And that's why we lay these 12 foundations. Then there are walls, the 12 gates. We enter through these 12 gates, and we see the tree that offers 12 fruits, and its fruit it offers each month. The ninth component of the power contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is expressed in being made alive together with Christ, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the circum- uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He had taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The teaching that wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us is the teaching of resurrection that is contained in the three levels of birth. The functions of the resurrection of Christ in the three levels of birth pursue the goal of justification through the redemptive sacrifice. Acts chapter 13, verses 39. And by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. A person born of God is a person justified by God. Basically, God births a person into new life through justification that is contained in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 4.25 Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And therefore, To be a twin of Christ, it is necessary to justify oneself in the Spirit, just as Christ justified Himself. Thanks to this fact, the Heavenly Father received the ability to resurrect His Son, and along with Him, those who imitate Him. And so, why are we justified? We are justified so that we may we justify ourselves in the Spirit as Christ had justified Himself. And let's look at how Christ justified Himself in the Spirit. First Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. By imitation of Christ, who justified Himself in the Spirit, we should know that this imitation could occur none other than in Christ, with righteousness, through faith in Christ. Here is where the word righteousness came from. It turns out that I receive justification so that I can justify myself in the Spirit. What is justify myself in Spirit? It is to say that I am a twin of Christ. How do I justify myself in Spirit? Christ, when He justified Himself in Spirit, 
He was ready to be lifted up. He was raised up in glory, seen before the angels. The angels saw the presence of the Father in his spirit, soul, and body, and his actions and everything. They saw the Father. That justification that we receive, how uniquely Pastor writes that we must justify ourselves in the spirit, meaning we need to receive it in the format of the fruit of righteousness. In order to gain Christ, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Therefore, from this component, we see that the Lord justifies His saints. He justifies everyone. Stadiums, thousands and thousands of people, they accept justification. Okay, he justifies. But are these copies, are they antichrist that will then leave the church? Or are they twins, identical twins? Meaning, are they going to justify themselves in spirit? Justification in spirit is justification that was given into as a seed that will be expressed in the fruit of righteousness. Justification is what he did. It is what he had accomplished. It is the book of life. The book of life are the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And righteousness is written in the book that the saints write, the book of works, the book of remembrance, those that fear his name. And here we see that to justify ourselves in the spirit is to offer the fruit of righteousness, to show the character of Christ. Therefore, if we have not gone from justification to righteousness, we are not twins of Christ. We're just fraternal. We are those that are called who, up until a certain time, dwell in the church, and then they're going to be thrown out. The tenth component of the power contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is called to make us capable of walking with Him by faith. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6-7 through seven, And you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. According to this principle, to walk in Christ by faith is to open our desires before God with thanksgiving. Very unique. Walking in faith is to open our desires before God with thanksgiving. We must note that when we are referring to our desires, which we are called to make known with thanksgiving, we are talking about only those desires that by nature are pure and incorrupt and are in the treasure of our hope in Christ, meaning in the dimension of our spirit. So where are desires found? Christ looks in us and He wants to define, are we His twins? What do we ask for? He says that our desires, our desires are called to be found, to be pure and un fading and to be found in the treasure of our hope they are called to be found in this dimension of our spirit in this treasury of our hope philippines chapter 4 verses 6 through 7 be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through christ jesus to let our request be made known to god means to desire an imperishable inheritance to look upon it and focus on it and thank god that we have Him in Christ Jesus. 
It is through this quality when we do this, we are able to show that, Lord, we are your twins, we are your children. This kind of position and this action will allow God to unseal his inheritance in our spirit, and in doing so, make us twins of the sons of God, and then through Christ Jesus, we can be partakers of the faith of Abraham, who looked upon the invisible reward and called the inexistent as existent. Abraham was a twin of Jesus Christ. How is this defined? We look upon the inexistent in the spiritual world. What spiritual world? We are not look in the clouds, behind the clouds. We look at those revelations that are found in our heart, in the heavens of our spirit, in our heart, on these promises. And we begin to proclaim as Abraham. We begin to proclaim the inexistent as existent. This is an important quality trait through which Christ defines that we are his twins. The 11th power of the component contained in the name Thomas as a twin representing the image of the Son of God in a person is called to in Christ Jesus open our ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit and having believed in him receive what was sealed with the Holy Spirit Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in him also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory we have noted that according to scripture, a disciple is an inner position of active humility expressed in denying one's will for the benefit of the will of God. It is this kind of humility in the literal sense that activates the grace of God in the Lamb. And also to be a disciple is not just a position of active humility, but it is necessary to be deaf and blind to every voice that is not the voice of the person whom God sent in our life to represent his perfect will. And here are these two qualities, two qualities that are necessary for us to have a relationship to God, to His divine characteristics. If we are twins, this means that we are going to listen to only the source of God, and we are going to close our ear to other sources. We will be deaf to those other sources. And the twelfth component, and very quickly, and we will then pray, the twelfth component of the power containing the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, when the Son of God comes is called to be glorified in his saints and be the day for all of his twins so the lord will be glorified in his saints and this is a very important component first thessalonians chapter 1 verses 6 through 10 since it is a righteous thing with god to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know god and on those who not, not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed he will come and those who have accepted and have believed in the testimony of the word of god he says i will come and be revealed in you in these kinds of twins from this place of scripture it follows that the preached word that does not contain a specific goal expressed in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the conditions that give God the ability to allow the Son of God to raise the dead to life and transform the living in the blink of an, blink of an eye in order to rapture them cannot be the gospel of Christ. 
although it may be called this. So the preaching, uh, preachings of Christ that this is referring to here, this is to allow Christ to resurrect. And this resurrection, it already has its place in our spirit. It already has its place in our soul. And we wait from the Lord for this other day in which He will be able to also affirm the resurrection in our bodies. And what bodies? Based on what we have read in the bodies of His twins. And His twins are those who are born from water, from the Spirit into the throne. And we call upon this place today every person who wants to repent, who wants to challenge sin, his lust, his dependence, in order to be in the likeness of Christ. For this it is necessary to leave all of this. Sometimes people say, no, no, when I will be good and spiritual, when I, you know how bad I was before Daniel. Let's say this, when I become a bit better, I will make a covenant with God, covenant of blood, and I will be uh, partaking water baptism. Allow me to become a little bit better, and then I will make this covenant. I say, no, brother, you can't. You need to come. You need to repent. You need to confess your sins, and you need to become good in Christ Jesus, and then make a covenant with Him. You can't become better without Christ. We become better only in Jesus Christ. And repentance is the first step that says that we are the twins of Christ. We wait for you at the altar. I will pray with our prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for us. He is not against us. He has loved us with His eternal love. He has given us the work of His redemption. 
He has stood between us and our enemies in order to protect us and in order to lift us up to His level. Your eyes close as an element of the mystery room, your hands raised to the heavens. This is a sign that our hands are without anger and doubt. Please pray along together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and on this holy place, in the congregation of your holy people, I uncover my heart so that you can see my pain, my suffering, my wounds that have been brought on by sin and lust, which I despise and which I reject. I come to you with my dependence, with sin, with a wounded honor and a wounded shame. And I ask you to forgive me, to wash me, to cleanse me, to heal my wound, to restore me, to protect me by the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim and confess that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your transgressions are forgiven to you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come, up, look upon you with His holy countenance, have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands, but not drawn near you. May all the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May with a noise be cast out of your body the power of death, and in its place let the power of life be raised. May all of this come upon you and upon all of your descendants, and may all the people say, Amen. A wonderful revelation. We today have the right to remember, and I think if we are going to continue to do this at cell group services, we will see and highlight even more certain revelations and those thoughts that were contained there. And in that format of the service that we have today, what we had time to do, we had time. And of course, we thank God and thank Pastor for those labors that we have according to the mercy of God in which we dwell and which comfort us. This is a great privilege. This is a great privilege. We can comfort, hug, or put something in a pocket, but that's for five minutes. But to comfort the spirit of a person, the soul of a person, and to comfort the body, for this it is necessary to have a foundation. And the Lord has given us this foundation, and we will build out of this foundation. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before God in his unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.